continuing to look at the book of James, a very practical and in a lot of ways hard-hitting book, where James gets right down to what's important and smacks us across the forehead with it. We're in chapter 2, we're looking at verses 1 to 13, and that I believe is on page 854, if you're using the Bibles in the seats. As we start this morning, I need a couple volunteers to play a little game up here. Can I have a couple volunteers? I see one in the back. Come on up, Liz, and I need someone else. David. And I could actually use a helper. Do you want to come up and be a helper? You have the best job of all. All right, so let's see. We'll put David right here, and we'll put Liz down there. And what you're going to do, some of these might wind up rolling around. These are gumballs. And if any roll on the floor, do you think you could find them and pick them up? And just here, you could stick them in here. All right? So, so that'll be your job as we get started here. So... Um, This is the game of life, and uh, these gumballs are the food and the wealth and the money that you need to live, and so your job is to get what you can because you need it to survive, Uh, but not to get it illegally. So there's some job, there's some rules to this economy because we want to make this as fair as possible. So um, what's going to happen is I'm going to drop these in the middle for you, right in the middle, so that would be fair, and um, you... You can't move or bump the table. Um, please stay seated. Please don't reach over the center line because that wouldn't be fair. Um, you can only use one hand, and you can't block the center so that the other person can't get any. Um, any that roll off the table belong to you even if it rolls on the floor. So if it rolls off this side, it belongs to you. If it rolls off this side, it belongs to you. Okay. All right, so let's see how this goes, and and you can help us if if any fall on the floor. All right, you ready? Everyone can reach the center. You get your hands out there. You're going to want to grab these. But I'm only using one hand? One hand, right, sorry. Good, you listen well. Oops. All right. All right, thanks, guys. Give them a hand. You can keep them if you want. Or <laughs> Thank you. You can see me out. You can ask your parents if you can have any, and if they do, you could see me afterwards if they say it's okay. Okay, thank you for your help. All right, so... Found another one. All right, so let's have a little bit of a discussion as we begin this morning. Uh, This economy was fair, right? Does anybody think it wasn't fair? I set up some rules to make sure that that it was fair. What are your thoughts? 
Fair? No? Not fair? Okay. Uh, Why wasn't it fair? The table was tilted. Okay. Who, Who worked harder to make ends meet in this economy? I don't know. I saw Dave working pretty hard. <laughs> um, was, was it tempting to give up, David? It was tempting to give up. Well, wh- why might someone in your situation have given up? Okay, it was really hard, almost impossibility to get anything from this economy. Um, so question, is, is this scenario true to life in the world, in the United States? Absolutely, yes. Say, say a little bit more. Any thoughts on that? Life isn't fair. So we live in an I-oriented world where people think of themselves first. It's not a level playing field. Okay, so there's things that have gone on in our history that have got us to the place that we are and we're not always aware of how that happened. Or how it could be different. I'm not going to put that in my pocket. It'll get all sticky. Um, so what are some of the things that cause the table to be tipped? The person who set it up. Fair enough. Fair enough. What else? Circumstances you're born into. Rules for government or business. Personal agility, resilience. Luck. Besides money, what are some other ways that some get more than others? Health, better health. Education. Character. Inheritance. Cheating? Some are better cheaters than others. And who does society tend to honor and celebrate? The rich or the poor? The rich. Interesting. Well, as we look at today's passage, what we need to realize is that James is addressing a society where the table is very tipped and there's systematic injustice. And part of what James wants to do in in this letter that we're looking at as he addresses the communities of those who follow Jesus is is to give them a vision of how they're to live in in such a world, to to live out their faith as they relate both to the haves and to the have-nots. Look at some of the things James has to say if we take the whole letter as a whole, which give us a sense of the economic situation in James' day. First chapter 1, verses 9 to 11 Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, right? David, you were up here in the high position. 
Um, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation. The rich will fade away even while they go about their business, James says. So right here, James introduces the, the economic disparity of his day. And notice that he clearly sides with the poor, warning the rich that, that they're not long for this world. And James will elaborate later on God's judgment that's coming on them. Then in verse 27, we saw last Sunday, uh, James tells Jesus' followers how they're to respond to, um, or how they're to respond when they see the results of economic inequality. inequality. And James singles out those who are most seriously impacted by the unjust economy of his day, the orphan and the widow. He says in verse 27, chapter 1, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Why the orphan and the widow? Well, because in that society which was patriarchal, only men could inherit and only men could take a matter to court. And so if you were a widow having no husband, if you were an orphan having no father, you were almost destined to poverty. And you could easily be oppressed because who did you have to stand up for you? The table was seriously tipped against you. So James says this is the religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Then James adds in verse 6 of our passage this morning, it's not the, or is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? So here we see direct evidence of the economic injustice in James' day. The rich have great power. They have access to law courts and to lawyers, and the poor do not. Also, the economy was largely agricultural at the time, and and we know from history that a few handful of the aristocratic elite owned most of the land in that day. And so most people were poor. They worked on the plantations of the rich for a meager wage, which they couldn't control. They weren't unionized. They had no savings, no investments, no cushion to help them against hard times, and there was no public assistance that they could fall back on. If the rich wanted to cheat you or not pay you what you deserved, what were you going to do about it? Not very much. Then listen to chapter 5, starting in verse 1. James takes on the rich landowners full on now. He says, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted. The moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. Are you getting a sense of who James is siding with here? In his whole letter, he doesn't have a single nice thing to say about the rich. For James, rich is basically a dirty word. It's almost an equivalent for evil. Which makes it interesting to notice that in our passage, when James describes this well-dressed man who who comes into the meeting of Jesus' followers, James avoids calling him rich. James uh, calls the ragged man a poor man, 
but he doesn't call the well-dressed man rich. Maybe James is withholding judgment on whether this well-dressed man who comes into God's family is going to turn out to be evil or not. After all, he's come to join the followers of Jesus. Maybe he, like Zacchaeus in the gospel stories, is repenting and wants to change. So given this background, let's focus now on the passage and, and, and see how James tells Jesus' followers to treat the high and the low in an unjust society. There are uh, five other things that, that we need to know in order to understand this passage, and so I'm just going to quickly mention them. First, in that culture that James is addressing, people were not actually chasing money. They were chasing honor. Most ancient cultures were shame and honor-based cultures. Notice the shame and honor language in our passage. Verse 1, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Glorious is an honor word in that culture. Verse 3, if you show special attention... That's an honor act. Verse 6, you have dishonored the poor. Verse 7, blaspheming the noble name. Again, an act of dishonor. What people in James' culture valued most highly, more highly, uh, what they valued most highly was not money, but honor, notoriety, glory, and respect in the eyes of their community. And so those who had money used their money to acquire honor. They didn't have the ability to buy boats or large screen TVs, so they used their money to get honor. How would they do this? Well, they would want a comfortable life for themselves, and this was a double win. So a pretentious house, a lot of servants, the ability to dress to impress, or also to fund a great public work, all of this would bring them honor. But add to that second that Greco-Roman society, this is the second insight, was a, or worked on a patron-client basis. So let's say that you're poor. I'll explain what this means. You don't have a lot of money. You don't have access to power or to connections. And you need it alone. You, you needed legal defense from, from someone who is exploiting you. What, what you would do, because you couldn't provide those things for yourself, was you would seek out a wealthy, powerful patron. And if you were lucky enough to find one, and and often you weren't, but if you were, you would beg them, you would plead them for help. They could connect you to a powerful person. They could give you money or loan you money. And in return, if they were gracious enough to you to, to deign to grant your humble request, your job as their client, your payment back to them was to return a favor if you could ever do one for them, first of all. But second of all, it was to sing their praises to talk them up to all your friends. Oh, what a great family they are. Do you know what they did for me? I was in need and they helped me. They're so noble. They're so big-hearted. This was how the society worked. And so this is how the rich would use their money and their power to get what they prized most of all, which was honor, to be honored in their community, to have a high status and respect. And so that leads to the third insight about today's passage. And that is that the well-dressed man in today's passage expects to be honored. He expects the best seat. He expects the poor riffraff to hold him in esteem. 
This is how society worked. These weren't modern Western democracies where all men are created equal. No, in James's day, society was stratified. The rich lorded it over the poor, and they expected the lowly to give them the honor that they deserved. To do otherwise, if you were poor, would be to affront the rich person's dignity, to, to slight them. It would be an offense, and they could make you pay if they got their hackles up. We've all seen movies where this happens, I'm sure. And so what James is calling for in our passage is very countercultural. It's further countercultural because of the next insight, which is fourth, that a rich man joining a congregation could be a huge blessing to this congregation. Imagine having access to your very own wealthy patron with power, with connections, with wealth in your church family. This could be a huge benefit to everyone. And so to not honor this person with the welcome they would expect would be hugely countercultural and likely costly. And then finally, the fifth insight about this passage, and that is that we don't know what kind of meeting James is referring to here when he says in verse 2, suppose a man comes into your meeting. What kind of meeting? The Greek word translated meeting here is synagogos, as in synagogue, a Jewish house of worship. But synagogos also referred to the various types of gatherings that happened in synagogues, which is why it's translated meeting here. Now, this tells us that James is writing to followers of Jesus who are primarily Jewish. But what it doesn't tell us is what kind of meeting this is here. Because ancient churches were not like modern ones. They weren't just once a week worship gatherings with maybe a Bible study on Wednesday nights. No, ancient churches were also community centers. They were cultural centers. They even had their own law courts very often. If you had a legal matter to settle with uh, others in your religious community, very often you wouldn't go to the public courts No, you would go to your faith community and they would settle the dispute, much like all the talk about Sharia law these days because the Islamic community has something similar still today. And and so what kind of meeting is James addressing here? The well-dressed man and the poor-dressed man, they both come in. They're both seemingly new to this faith community because they don't know where to sit. They have to be told, notice. But what are they here for? Are they here for a worship service, for a community meeting, or for a legal proceeding? We don't know for sure. And, and maybe it doesn't matter because maybe what James has to say applies the same to any of these situations. So what does James have to say? What's his message to followers of Jesus who live in a very stratified, economically unjust society where the tables are tipped? How would... Jesus have his followers handle the haves and the have-nots? How would Jesus have his followers function in a culture which expected that the haves would be honored and the have-nots would be dishonored? Well, James' message is clear. Do not show favoritism. Do not give the well-dressed man honor and do not treat the poor man in a way which would dishonor him. In other words, the currency of the well-dressed man is not to be honored in Jesus' establishments. Among Jesus' followers, wealth, impressive wardrobes, power, all that goes along with that are not valid currency. They are not legal tender 
They cannot be used to purchase honor or standing. Why not? James gives us five reasons. First, because among Jesus' followers, Jesus gets all the honor. Verse 1. Believers in our glorious Lord, Jesus Christ. In, In other words, James reminds us we already have someone in our community to whom we owe all our honor, all our glory. He's our patron. He's the one we all depend on as clients. He gets the honor. He will not share his honor with anyone else. Notice also verse 7. It's Jesus' noble name which the rich are blaspheming, dishonoring, and this should not be. And this leads to James' second reason that Jesus' followers do not accept the currency of the haves. And that is that in a system of economic injustice where the tables are tilted, Jesus tends to identify with the have-nots. Verse 5. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? Jesus, uh, James is talking here about the poor who have faith in Jesus. Wh- who does Jesus particularly identify with? Well, who were those who were there when Jesus was born into the world? Think back to the Christmas story. Caesar? The wealthy nobility, was Jesus born into a palace? No. Lowly shepherds came to see him in a feeding trough. Jesus was first of all a king for them. And so Jesus' mother sang about how Jesus would lift up the lowly and bring down the high and mighty in her Magnificat. And so Jesus, when he grew up, who had been taught by this mother and and nurtured on the the, the scriptures, he, he taught, blessed are the poor, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and woe to the rich. Jesus also warned about loving money. He he called the rich to sell their possessions and give to the poor. And and so if Jesus' followers were supposed to honor Jesus, if they were to turn around and overlook the lowly who Jesus identifies with in, in favor to the high and mighty, this would dishonor Jesus big time. Which leads to James' third reason for not honoring the rich, which is that the haves tend to dishonor Jesus. Because what does wealth tend to do to you? If you chase it, if you hold on to it, if you accumulate it, it it puts down roots in our soul, doesn't it? Have you ever experienced that? You, You start to depend on it. You start to delight in it. Maybe you believe as an intellectual tenant that your faith is in God, but in reality, your faith, your trust, tends to be in your money. You don't need God because money is becoming your God. And so rich people tend to be impoverished spiritually as a rule and to not be people of that much faith very often. After all, they have little practice trusting God for stuff. Their faith muscles don't get used much, and and so those muscles tend to atrophy. And this leads to James' fourth reason, which is that the currency, which is to be honored among Jesus' followers, is, is not wealth or money, but rather faith expressing itself in love. Verse 5 again. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? And then in verse 8, he points us back to what he calls the royal law found in Scripture. Love your neighbor as yourself. Faith and love 
Or as Paul told us a few weeks ago when we were back in Galatians, faith expressing itself through love. This is the currency which is to be honored among God's people. Faith and love. Two qualities that money can't buy. And so two qualities which the lowly are able to have in abundance. Why these currencies? Because when we have faith and when we love, who gets honored? Jesus does, not us. When we trust in Jesus, when we love our neighbor, Jesus gets the honor that he deserves. And so, as James reorients our perspective, as, as he calls us to live counterculturally, as he turns our world upside down, from that new perspective, fifth, he points out how ludicrous it is to honor the haves and to dishonor the have-nots. It's ludicrous. He says, why would you honor the rich? They're the ones exploiting you. They're the ones dragging you into court. They're the ones who tend to not need God, to not honor Jesus. In fact, many of them blaspheme Jesus. They dishonor Jesus, verse 6. So here's James' emphatic point. Don't do what the world does. Don't honor the currency of the haves. Live counterculturally so that you lift up the lowly. Honor their currency when they have it. Honor their faith and show them love. This is how Jesus will be honored. To do otherwise, James says, is to show favoritism. Well, James points out finally that that what he's saying here is nothing new. It's what God's word teaches all the way back from Old Testament times. There are hundreds of verses, if you read your Old Testament, about how we're to treat the poor and needy, right? And so to fail, to lift up the lowly, is to be convicted by God's word as a lawbreaker, James says, and to fall under God's judgment, verse 13. Okay, I told you he's going to hit us right across the forehead with a two-by-four. James doesn't pull any punches. So how do we apply all this today? Well, it has profound implications. You know, many of us, we we like to think of America as having a level playing field, that everyone's equal here, that everyone has a fair chance. And so if you work hard, if you succeed, good for you. And if you're poor, well, probably serves you right for being lazy. And and there are many great stories from our history of of immigrants who came to this country with $10 in their pocket, right? Right? And they worked hard, they, they worked their way up, they, they paid their dues, they did their time, and they, they made a life for themselves and for their children after them. And there's truth in these stories. But there's also other stories too, which tell other truths, aren't there? Stories of, of the African American community, of slavery, of Jim Crow, of Japanese internment camps, of immigrant ghettos, and prejudices against various immigrant communities. And so it's questionable whether the economic tables were ever truly level in America, but but all the more so today, right? Because the the times are changing. If you're reading the news, if you're looking at the economic numbers, they're they're showing that the rich are getting richer and the the middle class is shrinking. Yikes, that's most of us. And, And good jobs are going overseas and being replaced by technology. And of course, we're becoming part of a global economy too. And so most of the amazing products that we can still afford to make our lives comfortable are now imported. 
And, and much of the reason they're so, they're so affordable for us has to do with who makes them overseas and what the labor laws are there. Often it's children, often in sweatshops, occasionally slaves. But those realities don't go on the label in, in Walmart or in Macy's. And so it's conveniently hidden from us, but, but nevertheless, the, the table is set so that most of the wealth flows down to our end. And, and so how do we as a community of those who follow Jesus live in such an economy? How do we follow Jesus, or how do we follow James's very practical and hard-hitting challenge to us to be a countercultural community? As Jesus calls us to be a people who lift up the lowly because that honors Jesus. How do we do that today? Well, there, there are many ways, and, and the applications are going to be unique. They're going to be different uh, for, for different ones of us, depending on your lifestyle, depending on your line of work, your career, who you interact with, who comes across your path. There, there are many ways to lift up the lowly. And, and we need to be creative about how we do this um, and to let God show us, to let God's Spirit lead us both individually and as groups of people. Um, but the first question is, are we willing? Are we willing? Are, are we willing to acknowledge first that the playing field is not always level and, and second, that Jesus cares a lot about this? He cares a lot about the people who are affected by this. And in fact, that Jesus desires to lift up the lowly. And what about us as a church community? Um, I'll just close with one specific application because the immediate specific scenario that James gives us here is when someone new comes to visit or to join our community. How do we treat them? You know, it's, it's an easy temptation when you know uh, uh, maybe a doctor or a lawyer comes to church to to think before you've even, you know, thought about your thoughts, ooh, they'll be good givers, you know? They'll help our budget. Let's walk. Hi, nice to meet you. But, but do we notice those who come in just as much who don't have that kind of money, that kind of status? Maybe they don't have leadership skills. Maybe they don't have their lives together. Maybe they're not beautiful. Maybe they're not talented. Maybe they're not athletic or fit. Maybe they're quiet or shy or socially awkward. Do we notice them? Do, do we ever conclude about everyone or anyone, oh, I'm not sure they're our type of people? Instead of doing what Jesus challenges us to do here, which is to lift them up. Sorry, what James challenges us to do here. James got it from Jesus, by the way. As far as we can tell, he was Jesus' brother. We have to let... James challenge our natural, natural instincts here, the, the, the instincts that we learn in the surrounding world. Because the real question is not whether anyone who walks through these doors is our type of people. The real question is, are they Jesus' type of people? Right? We're Jesus' church. And, and often it's the haves whom Jesus has the hardest time working with, while it's the lowly whom Jesus has a special place in his heart and in his kingdom for. So let's make sure we join Jesus in lifting up the lowly. Amen.